at Power Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pell entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. <clears throat> Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Getting a couple texts on during our, our little handover, uh, handoff conversation. You know, Steve was talking about the... The story that's out there about how there's some guy in Texas that builds high-end bomb shelters, and and over the last couple of weeks his business has just exploded. No pun intended. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so anyway, he's, we were talking. The conversation was, do you want to put a bomb shelter in and stuff? And I, I, I just it, it really <clears throat> did get me thinking. Back when when I was in grade school, and maybe if you were a certain age, you went through exactly the same situation. We we used to have duck and cover drills. That's what they they would be called. And this was now when when I was in grade school, especially like first, second, third, fourth grade, and things like that. This was at, kind of at the height of the Cold War. I mean, it's a few years after the Cuban Missile Crisis. But you know, ever since the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, during the '60s, that this was this was the big fear that was out there that stuff was going to happen and somebody was going to make a a tactical mistake and then you're going to have nuclear weapons raining down. But I mean, I, I distinctly remember, and this is. This is true. It was the first time I was called uh, something other than a smart aleck by, by somebody other than my parents because it was third grade, and you're having the, this duck and cover drill. And <clears> the <throat> bell goes off, and they get everybody from their classes, and they march us down, and they take us into the wood shop. And, they, you know, they had the big tables with the, you know, the vices on them and things like that where you'd, you'd make, you know, whatever you're making wood shop. And, and they'd have us all get under these big wooden tables, and then, you know, you'd, you'd kind of you know, get on your knees, and you'd, like, cover your head and stuff. And, and I do remember even then, and I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I, I wasn't. But I can remember sitting there, and I, I said it out loud. I said, wait, if, if a nuclear bomb falls, is this, you know, is being under a wooden table really going to make any, any difference? And they, they kind of told me to just shut up, you know, just you know, shut up, stop talking, you know, just do what we tell you. But even back then, maybe I was just kind of questioning authority about it because it didn't strike me that that would be an extremely effective way of dealing with the problem of a nuclear attack. But again, what do I know? All right, let us start off with what is a first world problem. Believe me, I, I understand there are real issues in this world. Inflation is running rampant. You've got the, the war in Ukraine, which while not going like I think Vladimir Putin anticipated it, <clears throat> is still you know, raging and you've got civilians that are dying and I mean the world really is kind of on edge. So I appreciate what we're going to start the program off with. It is what I would describe as a is a first world problem. But I acknowledge it is incredibly frustrating to me. And I, I've been mentioning this over the course of the last couple of weeks. I I am stunned that baseball will not open the season as scheduled on March 31st. It is absolutely staggering to me that we have gotten to this point. Now, <clears throat> let me back up here. Baseball is a $10 billion business. There is this enormous financial pie that is out there. The owners are rich beyond the dreams of avarice. I have in my hand the Forbes 
list of the value of baseball teams. There's 30 baseball teams, and I have the value of the teams as of 2021. Now, I know some of the owners complain. They say this isn't accurate, but, but here's the deal. Of, 20, of 29 out of the 30 teams are worth more than a billion dollars. The only one that's not is the Miami Marlins, and that's almost worth a billion dollars, which means if you went to sell those teams, this is what they estimate that you could get. The New York Yankees, for example, they're number one. They're worth $5.25 billion. The Dodgers, 3.57, and it goes on and on and on. The Milwaukee Brewers are listed as being... They're number 24 out of 30 teams, but they're still worth 1.22 B as in billion dollars. Now, the ownership group, the current ownership group, bought the team for $223 million. So the value of the team has gone from $223 million to $1.2 billion. But if they put it on the market, I have no doubt that they'd get a lot more because this is, I mean, you'd be one of only 30 people that owns a baseball team. So there is a ton of money that is out there, just a ton of money that is, in fact, out there. Now, I don't, I don't know who's right and wrong in this particular, you know, battle between the owners and the players. I, I the, you know, the players' point is, well, well, here's the deal: the owners, you, you've got 20 of the 30 teams or 15 of the 30 teams that just don't even try to be competitive. What they do is, we have the system that's in place in baseball where, if you're a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Padres, there's a, there's a spending cap, and if you exceed that, you pay a tax, and that tax then goes to the the lower revenue teams. But the problem is the lower revenue teams don't take that money and invest in players. They just pocket the dough. So it, it's not like a competitive balance. And so the, the players are saying, look, you know, the teams are, are essentially not trying to win. They're just trying to make money, and therefore they're depressing salaries. So that, that's the argument, and I, I think there, there's probably some truth to that. Then you have you know, the arguments about, well, gee, what should be the minimum salary? Should it be $650,000, or should it be 710000 or whatever that might be? Okay, can I see a show of hands? Anybody too sympathetic about, gee, you know, the, the minimum salary is only going to be six hundred and fifty grand, or whatever that number might be? It, you, you look at, at the amounts of money that are being thrown around, and then you look at, you know, what what real people, you know, deal with on, on a daily basis, the, the worries about the fact that, okay, the cost of milk has gone up, or the cost of bacon has gone up, or gasoline is pushing four bucks a gallon, and then you're thinking, okay, the, these billionaire owners and multi-million dollar players can't get together on issues like, well, gee, how, how many tens of millions of dollars should we do in, in revenue sharing and things of the like? It's just... It is appalling. It is disgusting, the fact that the Major League Baseball owners engaged in this lockout. I get why they did it. <clears throat> they, they didn't want to strike later on in the year. So you, you start the lockout in, what, early December, late November, and then you sit around for six weeks before you make a proposal. It's, it's just been appalling the way this entire thing has been conducted. So I guess I look at this, and, and candidly, Right now, it's kind of like baseball, a pox on everybody's house, whether it's the, the owners or the players. You almost want to say they all deserve each other. But here's the problem. There's, there's also the people who really get hurt. It's not just the fans. It's not just 
those of us who buy the tickets and enjoy going to the games and enjoy turning the games on TV or radio and things like that, and, and it, it's a pastime, kind of one of the soundtracks of our spring and summer and early fall. So, yes, we're, we're going to lose out on that. But it's all the, and I'm calling them little people, and I mean that affectionately, the people that, that work for minimum wage or a little bit above minimum wage who, who go to the stadium and park the cars and sell the programs and work in the concession stands, all those people who didn't get, who lost their jobs two years ago when everything was shut down because of COVID, some of whom got back to semi-normal last year, but only semi-normal because, uh, again, we, because of the pandemic, you know, you didn't have full houses till the end of the season, and then they had all these weird rules in where it was like cashless and stuff, and it was almost impossible to buy a beer from a beer vendor unless you had a credit card and four forms of identification. So it's it's those folks who depend on the games, who are really getting shafted. And if you talk to people in Arizona or in Florida where they have spring training, it's there's a, there's a lot of places that depend on this. I mean, that, that's their, their big revenue is, hey, you know, in, in February and March, you know, you've got people coming down and they're going to stay in the hotels and they're going to go to the restaurants and they're going to go to the games. It's, it's a big re- gen- revenue generator for the small businesses in these towns that apparently the baseball owners don't care about, that apparently the baseball players don't care about. It is very apparent to me that they could all give a rat's behind about the fans and the little people there. So I, I've got a 20-game pack to that. Uh, I got a 20-game season ticket package to, to the Brewers. So I get this note today saying, okay, well, here's the deal. Um, you, your opening day tickets, you, you'll get it for opening day when whenever opening day is going to be. But um, if you have tickets in your package for games that are going to be canceled, you have the choice of just taking a credit or getting your money back. That, that's how they're going to do it. Now, under normal circumstances, I would have taken I would have taken a credit because I figure, okay, I'm going to go to another game this year, you know. So I just just put it in there. I, I let the team, for example, keep my money when they ended up. I paid in advance, and I let them keep it, you know, when when the year the season was essentially canceled two years ago because I thought, okay, well, this this can help support the team. To me, today it was an easy decision. When they said, do you want us, to, do you want to take this as a credit and buy other tickets maybe down the road, or do you want the money back? It was easy. I want I said I want the money back. My number, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am disgusted by this entire process. And I think, I mean, I don't know if this is going to resolve itself in a week. I mean, you you don't get any sort of idea that there's going to be a movement. But the fact that you would come to the brink and then go even further, the fact that there is such a callous disregard for the interest of the baseball fans and the people who depend on Major League Baseball for their living, to me, it's... It is a huge turnoff, and I understand there were a lot of people that walked away from the game after the 1994 strike. This has the potential to do the same thing. And again, what is so frustrating is when the American people, when the people of the world, have so many real important, significant issues facing them, including, you know, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic, but it, that, that concern is still there. And the war in Ukraine and inflation, and the list goes on and on and on. And you've got these billionaires and millionaires that can't come together for a game. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. There's a column. There's columns about this all across and all throughout the media, but there's one that caught my attention in the L.A. Times today. Here's what it says. What began as an off-season lockout December 2nd and continued as a spring training lockout last month just became real. For the first time in 27 years, beginning March 31st, baseball has canceled regular season games because of a labor fight. The rancor between billionaires and millionaires now affecting everyone from the bleacher bums to the peanut vendors. Fans will lose their seats. Ushers and concessionaires will lose their livelihoods. Those who religiously watch from home will lose a companion. The players will lose a paycheck, but nobody's going to cry for them. Last year, they made an annual average salary of $4.17 million. Last year, they made an annual average salary of $4.17 million. Can you imagine? You know, you want to talk about being divorced from reality. You know, your average salary is $4.17 million. But I don't necessarily blame the players on this. The owners, the column continues, will lose a bunch of paydays, but clearly they don't care because they're the ones doing it. The lockout is the ultimate economic weapon. In a $10 billion industry, the owners have made a conscious decision to use this weapon against the greatest asset they have, the players, says the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association. Um, but our group won't be intimidated. The owners seem just as committed to keeping those doors closed. Um, and then it, it just goes on and on and on because they, they can't get their act together. And apparently they don't care about you and me. They don't care about the fans. Um, 855-616-1620. Um, let's see. College baseball is a wonderful way to watch baseball. And they're playing. The, we're planning to go to college games to support the young kids. Um, yeah. Um, Jeff, in my lifetime, I've never seen the Brewers make it to the World Series. As much as I remember going to baseball games as a kid, I will cherish those um, memories forever. I have no issue never watching baseball again after this botched lockout. If they don't care about us, I have no issue um, ever watching them again. Jeff, I'm a 55-year-old baseball fan. I purchased the MLB ticket every year. Die-hard Dodger fan, but I love all baseball. Going through this again has me very upset and seriously considering not watching baseball, period. Well, the, the people that run the game don't think you're serious about that. I don't know. Jeff, what really kills me about this is while all this is going on, we pay for the infrastructures of the stadium. No other business get off like this. Jeff, I'd like to see the Major League Baseball teams have the same payrolls to keep it competitive and fair. Otherwise, it makes me sick to miss baseball. Um, Jeff, I did the same thing with my spring training tickets. Give me the money back. Last straw for me was the lockout after the weird game change rules. No cash allowed, no physical tickets, and no printed publications going forward. Yeah, there's all that stuff. Jeff, this is a big reason I didn't pre-buy this year. Learned my lesson in 2020. Upsetting, the situation is extremely upsetting. My beer vendor friend is extremely livid. Well, yeah, that's, see, that's it. You know, keep in mind the people that, that work at these stadiums. 2020 complete washout. A complete washout because there essentially weren't games open to fans. 2021, depending on what city you were in, the, the stadium started to open up. But, for example, in Milwaukee, it opened up on a very, very limited basis for a good portion of the, the year. Jeff, um, I will not be buying any Major League Baseball jerseys or any merchandise this year because of the billionaires and these millionaires playing with people's pocketbooks right now. And that is for the people who are going to be working at the stadium. I'll listen to Brewer Games on your station with Bob. 
Bob Euchre, but that's as far as I will go. Jeff, preach. I'm over baseball for a while unless they come out winning, just to be honest. Well, that winning solves all sorts of things. But here's part of the problem with Major League Baseball. You know, and look, and I think the, the Brewers have done an excellent job of building a competitive team in a small market. And the Brewers ownership group has shown that they are willing to invest in, in players to put out a competitive team. You know, Look at the signing of Christian Yelich. Look at the way they built the team. But that's not the way a lot of the teams operate a lot of the teams are just plain in the tank you know they, they take the revenue sharing they use it to make profits and then they don't put it back into players content to say okay well we'll, we'll so we lose a hundred games a year the Baltimore Orioles Baltimore just a, a great historic baseball town they have been historically awful for years why because I think many respects they try not to be competitive the Pittsburgh Pirates are another example I can give you other examples of teams that just flat out are not competitive year after year after year because the teams have made the decisions that they'd rather they just don't want to win they're going to just take the money and run and and that's unacceptable and again i i understand that there's blame on the players as well it's tough to feel sorry for a group of individuals whose average salary is four million dollars a year okay it's tough to feel sorry for that and i don't necessarily do it but i do think this is being driven more by the owners who have just seen huge returns on their investments and have decided they want to continue to get more and more and more but the greed in general I think is absolutely appalling. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about the Brewers in particular. I am talking about baseball in general. This is a huge debacle. It is disgraceful. Admittedly, it is a first world problem, but here's the reality. You know, baseball in many respects is a habit. People get used to listening to the games every night. Hey, we want to hear Bob call the games and stuff. And you're used to turning on the games at 6.30 or 7 o'clock and listening to the pregame and whatever. Well, okay, once people fall out of that habit, once they find other things to do, it's tough to get them back. Not saying they can't get them back, but it's tough to get them back. And I guess I just find it absolutely disgraceful. And that's the word I'm using, that you have a $10 billion industry, this huge pie, and you can't figure out and agree how to divide this enormous pie between, again, billionaires and millionaires, a pox on all their houses. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I think it is fair to say that MPS is a train wreck. Now, that's not to say that there aren't certain schools within MPS that, that might do a decent job. But as a general rule, I think most reasonable people would agree that MPS is a train wreck. What we can't agree on is what the solution to that train wreck is. If you listen to the teachers union for the last, oh, I don't know, I've been doing, I've been on the radio in this market for 27 years, that the, the attitude is we need more money. We, we need more money. And it doesn't matter how much money you get, that money is never enough and the numbers do, do not I- improve. So some people would say, oh, it's just, it's got to be more money and more money. 
money and more money, despite the fact that we've been throwing money into this situation for 27 years and that hasn't worked. So I, I, you know, I don't know what the solution is. Other people would suggest that what we need is we need more competition and we need to be able to, you know, have the private school choice that's available. So what you can do is for the parents, so if you believe like I do that competition makes people better, that if you've got competition, you have to aspire because otherwise, look, if, if there's 10 restaurants in town and nine of the restaurants are really good, uh, that, that bad restaurant isn't going to make it because it's just people aren't going to go there because you've got all the other restaurants that are good. The same argument applies to the school system. If you've got, you know, choices that are out there for people as to where they can send the kids, well, the failing schools, they're going to go under. So why not just let them go under and let the people go to the schools that are doing the job? So that that's another philosophy of it. Right now, and this is going to be an this is going to be an issue in the governor's election, and I think it's going to be an issue that has Democrats really scared because I think it's an issue that resonates. Republican proposal is let's break up MPS, let's take this giant monolith and let's break it into four to eight smaller school systems where you know maybe we can cut through a little bit of the bureaucracy, get it closer to the neighborhood school system, and things like that. And of course, this threatens everybody who's like the into the bureaucracy. Oh my gosh, we're gonna. That means we're gonna lose. We're gonna have to, you know, get rid of, you know, these highly paid bureaucrats. And that means that, gee, um, the school system might be smaller, and people might have to be a little bit more responsive to parents. And didn't that wouldn't that be terrible? But that's going to be one of the issues that, that that's out there. And you know, ultimately, voters are going to decide what they want. Well, in the wake of that, though, in that proposal, you have a, a school board member who says, look. Let me give you an alternative. Instead of breaking up MPS, here's what I propose. And the school board member is named Aisha Carr. She was elected last April. Here's her idea. She says, all right, this is what I think we should do with MPS. I think we should go down to a four-day-a-week school system. So classes will only be held, not Monday through Friday, but they will only be held Monday through Thursday. All right. Then she says, if we do this, it's going to give teachers time for planning and training. It will give students time to get mental health support, learn job skills, train for athletics, resolve conflicts with restorative practices, or take a paid internship. Now, she says, Here, here's the idea. I'm not saying that we we don't necessarily have 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 kids have to go somewhere on Friday, said her idea is we only teach for four days a week. But then what we do on that Friday is, first of all, we allow teachers to, all right, not have to deal with the kids. They can plan, they can build curriculum, they can collaborate, they can hone skills, as if teachers did not have enough free time now and enough teachers' conferences and things like that. Said students would still be expected to show up, but we would have alternative programming focused on mental health, career preparation, community service, and other activities. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this something that would, in fact, be workable? Or would this just take a bad, failing system and make it even worse? Now, see, it's interesting to me because the same day this proposal comes out, on the fifth day, everybody will rest. 
this is there's a big story in the New York Times talking about how parents in many school systems are just absolutely completely and totally outraged because their schools aren't back to five day learning. Um, aren't back to five day learning. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I guess I, I ask the serious question about all right, you, you all right, the teachers get a, essentially another day off to work on collaboration, but they're, they're not in the classrooms. Does anybody really think that the majority of the students are going to learn, are they going to show up, they're going to participate in programming focused on mental health, career preparation, community service, and other activities, or will this generally become a, basically a big blow-off day where even fewer people are in school, and if fewer people are in school actually learning, what are they going to be doing? Well, they're going to be out on the streets stealing cars. They're going to be getting themselves in trouble. i got to tell you, I, at least in my opinion, in the real world, this is one of the most staggeringly dumb ideas I have heard in a long time. In the real world, 855-616-1620, would this work? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. I'm sorry, this is just in the real world. This is just a staggeringly dumb idea. Here's some texts while we're lining up the phone calls. Jeff in Germantown says, so I, let me get this straight. The proposal to improve a failing school system is to do 20% less teaching? Hmm, makes sense to me. Jeff, another absolutely terrible idea. MPD, um, um, the Milwaukee Public Schools, MPS, can't get kids to attend school as it is. How about the school board worries about teaching kids to read and write? Well, yeah. Jeff, when I was a kid, we worked on our mental health during the summer. Jeff, teachers already have summers off. I don't believe they have eight classes in one day. The students need to be in school for a full week. Um, Jeff, so a lot of students are already failing in the system five days a week and they want to have less days? Besides, what's going to happen when the kids get to the real world and they're expected to go to college five days a week or work five days a week? Um, Jeff, I think this is a perfect example of what happens when a politician is threatened with losing power, break up the school district, and the current school board ends up losing power. Jeff, just no to four-day school. What happens with the kids with disabilities who have IEPs to be followed and therapies each day? I have two of those kiddos, although not in MPS. They've already fallen way behind in the last two years with virtual school and contact tracing quarantine. Again, the, the, uh, the ultimate irony that this proposal surfaces today, like I say is big story in the New York Times where a, a lot of school districts because of COVID they're still not back to five days a week and what, what's happening is parents are just absolutely outraged about it. Jeff they tried this during COVID in our school system in Waukesha and in talking to the teachers and students it was a joke. Almost everyone used it as a vacation day. Right. You know, I, I think that's precisely what's going to happen. The, the idea that, okay, it, it's tough enough to get kids to, to school in the, in the first place. So what, what's Friday going to be? Friday's going to be the conflict resolution day. So what we're going to do is, I don't know, we're going to get people in a room together and we're going to say, okay, when you get into a fight with somebody outside a basketball game, don't pull out your gun and start shooting at it. I mean, for, for goodness sakes, Schools are supposed to teach kids how to read and write. Now, if you, if you wanted to talk about 
you know, maybe we, we've got a, an achieving school system and kids are reading and writing and they're doing all these great jobs. And so we, we want to build in as part of the curriculum. We want to build in something that talks about job training or we want to build in something that I don't know, encourages career development or conflict resolution or whatever you want to say. I, I get that. But but you're going to take an entire day and do this? There's also, by the way, real questions about the legality of something like this because the state requires a, a minimum number of instruction hours every year. And, and even even the State Department of Public Instruction, I, I don't think, is, has signed off on a plan that would allow you to essentially take a day off. On top of that, and I just I, I throw this out. I don't mean to be mercenary about this, but, but who – Who's going to, to pay for this? Because my guess is the, the teachers aren't going to take a 20% cut in pay, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to say, oh, we're, we're only teaching four days a week, but now, you know, we're going to be spending this fifth day not having to deal with the students, but we're going to be collaborating and, you know, getting together and, and talking with each other. My guess is they're, they're not going to be willing to take, you know, a 20% pay cut. So that means you're going to have to come up with money that's going to pay the people that are going to come in and, and teach conflict resolution or whatever the heck else that they're, they're going to, you know, teach. And, and where is, is that money going to end up coming from? And is that the best way to, you know, deal with the situation? Jeff, the school system has become a junk drawer of excuses lately. Well, that, there's that. Jeff, MPS needs their entire administration team replaced from the superintendent to the directors. Um, yeah, Jeff, of course, if it was a school that goes four days a week, can we expect a 20% drop in funding for the school districts? Now, that would be a great tax rebate. No, 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 no. That's that's not the plan on um, this. Jeff, the silver lining is that someone on the board is willing to depart from the status quo. Um, who cares that the plan stinks? <laughs> You know, that's that, you know, there's, you know, that's that's part of the idea that, that's out there. Right. And I'm, I'm all in favor of ideas. Jeff, you're kidding. Right. This isn't serious. Like the kids would actually show up on that Friday. Who would be supervising those kids on the fifth day? Um, Jeff. Oh, great. A day for some people to go out and steal more cars. Well, I don't mean to be cynical about it, but yeah, that's a fair question. David in Appleton. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I um, I don't agree with the I don't agree with the four day school day. I don't think that's the answer. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I I think the problem part of it is is. You know, you're hearing a lot about school boards saying that uh, the school districts and boards won't listen to the parents. There's a lot of complaining that they won't take the parents' input. I guess I'm going to flip it around and say I think a lot of the reason we're in a position we are, not just in Milwaukee but statewide, is I think the parents are neglecting to do a lot of things that parents did when I was in school, Mm -hmm. and therefore the school district has taken on that burden both time-wise and financially to Watch the kids before school, watch them after school, feed the kids, counsel the kids, medicate the kids. So all these things that are being done for children, which I'm not saying are not necessary, those are things that the parents used to do so that they could spend their time prepping and teaching. And so I think it's a societal problem that starts at home. 
Oh, David, thanks for the call. I, I don't disagree with at least some of the things you're saying, and, and, and you're right. That's the advocates for public schools, and the the argument they make, and and it has validity, is the fact that it does start at home, and if you have parents who are completely and totally punched out, who who don't value education, who don't care about their kids' education, and, and just let the kids essentially run wild, it, it's, it's a lot to expect a school system to do. I mean, I, I, look, I, I, mean, I, I grew up in a different time. I understand that, but my parents were invested in, in my education. My parents believed it was important. So when you got homework assignments, that, that was it. It was before you could watch TV, there was a set time. You sit down, you do your homework. My parents would look over the homework. We were talking the other day about um, you know math. and I mean, I can remember back in the day, I'm old enough, when you'd have the flashcards. Some people don't even know what flashcards are nowadays. But you'd sit there and it'd be, you know, I can remember my mom or dad sitting at the dining room table. And we'd, we'd do, when I was a kid, you'd do the flashcards. You know, it's at four times six. And you'd have to have the right answer. And they'd flip it over. So, you know, it's if you've got parents that are invested in kids' education, it makes the whole thing a, a lot easier. So, I mean, I, I appreciate that it is very, very complicated. And like I say, the people who um, are advocates in particular for the public school system say, well, if, if we went to more private schools, what would end up happening is the parents that were more involved, they would pull their kids out. They would send them to the quote-unquote higher-performing schools, and public schools would become even more of a dumping ground than they are now, making it even more difficult. And, and that's, at least intellectually, I kind of understand where that argument's coming from, but to me, that's not a justification for trapping kids who want to do well, um, trapping them in, in a failing education system simply because they don't have the money to get out or their parents don't have the money to get out. I, I don't think that's fair. So I understand it's complicated, and I do think a lot of it starts at, at, at home. And if, if you don't have you know, a, a family, whether you say it's got to be an inta- intact two-parent family or, you know, a, a you know a, a single parent who's you know, committed to the kid's education, whatever, I, I understand it becomes a lot more difficult. So I appreciate that this is an extremely complicated concept to end up having to deal with. But I, I'm with you. Eliminating a day of school, taking teachers out of a classroom on that fifth day when the kids can't read and write and do basic math now and saying, okay, we're going to turn it over to these touchy-feely sort of things and we're going to talk about conflict resolution, which in and of itself might not be bad, but but you're going to do that for a day and let's understand the reality. You do that and most of the kids aren't going to show up. They're, they're just flat out not going to do it. It's going to turn into, you know, uh, generally speaking, a, a blow off day. Um, Jeff, I am a taxpayer, never had kids. I'm paying for schools, so I think I should have just as much say as parents. Um, well, I think there is an element to this. Jeff, four days a week for nine months or 12 months? No, they're not talking about that. No, 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 no. They're, they're not talking about that because, again, if you wanted to talk about year-round school, you would have a revolt by the educational establishment. I mean, if you told the teachers, hey, you're going to have to, you're going to have to teach now, you know, 11 months out of 12, we're going to do the year-round schools, they wouldn't accept that. And I don't mean this to bash teachers. I, I, I'm just saying 
that this idea, while maybe in theory, and if you were sitting there and you were kind of gaming this out in some, I, I don't know, ah, maybe some educational class, maybe you know, you're talking to some of these other quote unquote, you know, school professionals, and you're throwing out these ideas. People might say, "Oh, that's kind of an interesting, intriguing idea." When you get it to the real world, though, it's a complete and total non-starter, at least in my opinion. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. New Marquette University Law School poll out for, again, it's early in the proceedings, so you can kind of take these numbers for what they're worth. Um, they find that Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish is leading in the Republican race for governor. She's the choice of 30% of people surveyed. Kevin Nicholson, 8%. State Representative Timothy Rantham, who is running on the premise that we're going to somehow be able to decertify the election and ultimately reinstall Donald Trump as the president. In other words, it, it's kind of the tinfoil hat part wing of the Republican Party. Um, Rantham has 5%. So still early, a lot of people undecided, obviously, but I think that's probably the correct number. In the Democratic um, race, uh, Mandela Barnes, he of let's defund the police, let's abolish ICE, let's get rid of cash bail. He's the choice of 23% of the Democratic voters. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks executive Alice La- Alex Lasry is at 13%. Outagamie County executive Tom Nelson at 5%. And State Treasurer Sarah Gatluski at 3%. My guess is that might be representative of the state of the race now. Um, where it goes from here, though, is uh, kind of tough to tell. Tony Evers' approval ratings are up. Last um, October, 45% approved of his job performance, 46% disapproved. Um, now, 50% approval, 41% disapproval. So that's good news for Evers, if you believe those numbers. Ron Johnson, um, he's underwater. 33% view him favorably. 45% view him unfavorably. Again, to me, what's going to happen with the the Ron Johnson race is right now nobody's focusing on who the opponent is. And I think that's going to be incredibly important because, as I've said repeatedly, all four of the people who are running to replace Ron Johnson are significantly to the left of, of Joe Biden. And I think the real interesting question is going to be once Wisconsin voters start finding out where these guys are, in the case of the state treasurer female, where the candidates are in these various issues. I mean, do you really want somebody that wants to defund the police, abolish ICE? Do you want somebody that wants to eliminate cash bail? Do you want somebody that wants to impose a, a wealth tax on people? Do you want people that are going to embrace the Green New Deal to, I mean, to the extent that they're going to be in the hip pocket of AOC? These are questions that I think we'll have to decide. And then Joe Biden, uh, the numbers pretty consistent with the numbers that he's getting in national polling, um, 43% approval rating, 52% unfavorable. So he's underwater in this poll by about 9%, and I think that's probably consistent. I don't know uh, if the State of the Union is going to have changed everything. Now, I, I understand. I understand that 
every every talk show host in America is today is talking about the State of the Union and the way that's typically posed is okay. What grade would you give Joe Biden's speech in the State of the Union? We're, we're not going to do that. I uh, I listened to the I watched the State of the Union yesterday, all one hour and two minutes of it. My general sense was I thought. Biden did a good job when it came to dealing with issues that Ukraine. I, I thought that that was the right tone that he took. I, I So, I mean, I, I thought that was the strong part of the speech. I thought the rest of the speech was a little bit lackluster. I, I thought, you know, if he was trying to reset his agenda, I, I don't think he accomplished that. But I, So, to me, it was a mixed bag. But I, I understand if I were to ask you, you know, to grade the Biden speech, I, I'm going to get responses depending on whether you're one of those folks who just love Joe Biden or whether you're one of the folks that hate Joe Biden. And so that's – it. I don't think he changed too terribly many minds. To me, I, I thought he struck, the, like I say, the right tone on Ukraine and uh, the rest of the stuff, eh, not, not necessarily as much. But there, there were two things, and these are kind of like sideshows, I guess, but there were two things that, that I noticed during the speech. One thing that happened and one thing that went on continually during the speech that I just want to talk about briefly. First of all, Okay, let's talk about Nancy Pelosi. Well, the, the, the London paper, the Daily Mail, th- this is what their headline says. What the hell is she doing? Nancy Pelosi distracts viewers during State of the Union by jumping out of her seat, rubbing her knuckles together, and grinding her teeth while Biden speaks solemnly about toxic burn pits. Um, I, I, okay. Now, Nancy Pelosi, you know, she's, of course, famous for ripping up the Trump speech, stuff like that. I was watching it on television, and I guess, first of all, I found it a little bit distracting that her and the vice president both, I mean, they were kind of like jumping jacks, up and down and up and down and applauding. But I was watching Nancy Pelosi, and I guess I found it very, very distracting. And I was watching, I was kind of my same or smart, what, what is she doing? And the, the rubbing her hands together and the weird smile and stuff, I was actually wondering, is she high? Our, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did I found it to be extremely distracting to the point that I found myself watching her more than I was watching Joe Biden because her mannerisms and the stuff that she was doing I I thought was so so odd and I was actually trying to focus on on Joe Biden but I, I was just mesmerized watching Nancy Pelosi and the the looks on her faces and the rubbing the hands and things like that. Um, A number of people are are asking whether they thought she was on drugs or drunk. I I can't imagine that that's the case, but I thought it was really, really odd. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Did, did, Did you find her behavior to be distracting? Um, 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment, and then some comments about something that happened from the other side of the aisle. I just, Nancy Pelosi, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop watching her because it was like, wow, what's going on? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is senior realtors Bruce and Gene Nemovitz. Trust, experience, integrity. Are you a senior looking to sell your home or someone looking to help a family member downsize? Well, with over 20 years of experience, Bruce and Gene are dedicated to providing the best services to seniors and their families to learn more. Visit Bruce's team.com or call 262-242-6177. No, there, there were two things that happened during the State of the Union. Again, I, I don't want to talk about the particulars. Um, I, I thought Biden did an okay job on the Ukraine. I thought the other stuff, eh, a little bit less so. But but how you viewed that's going to depend on whether you're a fan of Joe Biden or not. But there, there were two things. The first was Nancy Pelosi. I, I couldn't. It was like a train wreck. I found myself mesmerized, and whether it was the popping up and down, and I understand people stand back and forth, but the weird rubbing her her hands together and the, the kind of crooked smile that I just it was I, I thought it was very very distracting, and I was wondering again, am I the only one seeing this? Now, of course, the the, the internet, which you know, uh, has exploded with people going, yeah, what's what's going on here? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, over the years, she's always had this chewing her lips, sucking on a lemon mannerisms during the speeches. So odd. I mentioned this to my spouse ahead of time. Would she be doing this again? Jeff, I thought she was very distracting. I can see SNL doing a great job of copying her. Yeah, that's... You know, that that would make it interesting to see because if I was a writer for Saturday Night Live, that would be that would be the aspect of this. Jeff, I agree. She was acting really weird, grinding her teeth, looking around with a fake smile, jumping up and down while the vice president remained relatively um, stoic. Jeff, I couldn't agree more about Nancy Pelosi. In addition, she made odd movements with her mouth. She seemed to be sucking food out of her teeth or adjusting her dentures if she wears them. I don't know about that. I just thought it was odd. Jeff, I thought she was very distracting as well. Um, I honestly don't recall ever seeing her smile before. I actually thought she might have had something to drink. Maybe that helped her with her smiling. Jeff, Pelosi looked like a Saturday Night Live character in a skit. Well, yeah, and um, Jeff, I thought that was how an early elementary school teacher acts when they think the kids need a cue to be excited. Um, I don't know. I was just watching this. Um, Jeff, the other distracting thing was watching Pelosi and Harris having their side conversations while the president was speaking. Jeff, I'm in the same boat. I just thought it was was weird. Um, yeah, Jeff, I had to turn it off because it was so distracting. I was wondering if she was on something, too. Jeff, I couldn't take my eyes off her. It scared me. Well, I I, I, I don't know about that, but, uh, man, I, I just I couldn't get over watching watching that. It was just kind of like mesmerizing on, on that aspect of it. I was going, wow, uh, d- does she know what she's doing? Okay, so that's the Nancy Pelosi aspect of this. Now let's talk about something else that happened. Um, I, I do not. I have a very low tolerance for rudeness. I, I do, and I, I understand that over the last several years, what's happened is we politics has gotten coarser and gotten ruder. But that's not to say that, I mean, if you look back and the things that were, were said about, you know, political candidates going back to when, you know, Thomas Jefferson was running for president. I mean, it, it's always been very, very brutal. So you have a history of that. But now with 24-7 media and social media and things, it ends up getting more pronounced. But having said that, I just, I, I don't, I don't, 
I don't deal well with with rudeness. I, I just I don't. I thought during the last Trump um, speech, the State of the Union, I thought Nancy Pelosi was incredibly rude when she tore up the speech, and, and that was she deserved criticism. And some people, oh, that was just great. She was making a statement. No, that was rude, and it was childish, and it was beneath in my opinion, the behavior that you should expect from the Speaker of the House. Well, okay, yesterday you had another example of that, and this time it it comes from the other side of the aisle. You have um, Lauren Boebert, who is a congresswoman from Colorado, who, you know, during, during the speech decided that, you know, she wanted to send a message to, you know, President Biden. So she ended up, you know, wearing, she was wearing an outfit that said, drill, baby, drill. Oh, okay, that, that's, that's fine. But during the speech, when Biden was speaking of helping soldiers who came home sick from Iraq and Afghanistan because of toxic burn pits and cancers uh, that would one day put them in a flag-draped coffin, she decided to yell out from the audience, you put them in, 13 of them. And that was a reference to the people that, that died in Afghanistan as the, the U.S. was withdrawing. But but she shouted, she shouted out and interrupt interrupted him. At another point, she and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's the kind of out there congresswoman from Georgia, started chanting "Build the wall" when Biden was talking about immigration. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just like I thought the behavior of Nancy Pelosi was weird and distracting, I thought the behavior of these two congresswomen, and in particular the, the shouting out during the speech, I thought that was inexcusably rude. And eight five five six one six one six twenty. And regardless of of how you feel about the president of the United States, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or you know George Bush or the list goes on and on, I think at the State of the Union address, it, you you respect the office even if you don't respect the person. And I think shouting out in the middle of that speech was just incredibly rude. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. I'm sorry. I just, I'm watching this and the behavior of these two Republican representatives last night, in, in particular, the representative Lauren Boebert from, from Colorado, where she decides to yell out in the middle of Biden's speech, I'm sorry, I, I just, that was rude, and it deserves to be called out. And I don't care how you feel about Joe Biden. Look, it's just, I guess my point has always been the man is the president of the United States. You don't like the fact that he's president of the United States. You don't like the job he's doing. That, that, I understand that. His poll numbers are, are cratering. I get that. There'll, there'll be a chance to vote him out of office, you know, in 2024 if he decides to run again. But, you know, when you're giving a speech at the State of the Union, I think it's rude to heckle. And that's just the reality. This is not the British House of Commons where people scream back and forth at each each other all the time. Um, Jeff, you say rude. I say immature. Well, it could be immature as well. That doesn't mean that it's uh, not rude. 
Jeff, um, both of those congresswomen are toxic. Neither deserve their titles. If they're elected again, I will always wonder how. Jeff, I think it shows complete disrespect and pettiness on their behalf. I'm a lifelong conservative Republican. They should have been removed immediately. And, and again, this is... I, I criticized Nancy Pelosi at the last Trump State of the Union for what I thought was that rude act of, of tearing up the speech. I thought that was rude. I thought when you had the congressman who interrupted Obama by yelling out, you lie, I thought that was rude. At some point in time, you know, can't you just kind of back off. Jeff, of course it was rude. Rules of decency don't apply to politicians. Different rules apply to them. Just ask them. Jeff, I'm a conservative. I'm not a fan of President Biden, and I find their behavior outrageous and embarrassing. It was very egotistical trying to make the State of the Union about them. Jeff, you're correct. Respect the position of that person despite personal, political, professional feelings towards that person. We've done so much to secure the freedom of speech movement that we have become disrespectful. Um, Jeff, I think they should be patted on the back. How else will Biden get the message? Payback is a you-know-what. I I guess I, I... I was going to say, I guess I disagree. No, I, I disagree with that because by, by heckling the president, you, you don't, I, I don't think Joe Biden goes back and says, oh boy, they really made a point. They called me out. Joe Biden goes back and says, boy, how, how rude were those people? And whatever their message is, it gets lost in the fact that they expressed it in such a, a rude sort of fashion. And, and so I, I guess I think it's, it's also, counterproductive and when you end up doing something like that and and that's what you saw jeff i'm with it let them speak their mind especially when he's wrong no no i um i i don't think so at all jeff maybe the republicans were looking for praise from trump bobert yelled about sun Bo as well if, if you look if you can't behave yourself during that presentation Nobody says you have to go to the State of the Union. If you want to, I guess, have a press conference outside on the Capitol steps and you want to just denounce Biden and you want to just say whatever you want to say, go with God. That's fine. That's your right to do it. But I do think you have to respect the office, even if you don't care for or don't respect the occupant of it. I made that same argument for four years when Donald Trump was in office and you had people on the left that absolutely despised him and relished in every sort of you know, rude behavior towards him that they could engage in. And then, you know, he, he of course, responded in kind. So I, I denounced that then. I don't think it got any better yesterday. And I think those two congresswomen, but particularly the one from Colorado, should be ashamed of themselves. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I was thinking about the the story from the end of last week where you had the crazy guy who walked into District 5 and started shooting. And, of course, now it's turning out that the guy who's believed to be responsible for that um, was related 
to, or at least he was a close friend of the person who, who had died in police custody earlier, and now there's talk about how this was an attempt to be like suicide by, by cop, and that, you know, the guy goes in and starts shooting at the police station expecting to be killed, and, you know, he, he wasn't. So, I mean, that's, that, that's sort of the circumstance, but thankfully there, there were nobody seriously injured as a result of this, and that's, that's kind of the, the good news about this. But it demonstrates I mean, the risk that that is out there when you are in law enforcement. And whether it's in Milwaukee, remember about a month, month and a half ago, we had that string where you had multiple law enforcement officers who were shot, like three that were shot in a 10-day period. And that is not an unusual thing. If you look across the country, you're seeing that for whatever reasons, it's more and more like a war on police officers. And you have people who feel more emboldened to shoot at police um, more and more people who are using firearms in connection with the commissions of crimes, and they don't care who they fire at. And, and in general, it's become, it's always been a dangerous profession. There's no question about it. But I think it's become a lot more dangerous lately. On top of that, you have a certain segment of society that has tried, has decided in their mind that the police are the enemy. That, you know, the police are an occupying force. That we need to defund the police. That when the police show up, instead of assisting them when they're trying to, for example, protect and serve, what we want to do is we want to form circles and pull out cell phones and video them, hoping that we can find the police, uh, police officer making a, a mistake or overreacting or something like that. So that, that's the, that's the thing. Or we shout at the police. What are you doing here? Et cetera, et cetera. When they, they've been called to a scene. So that, that's the backdrop of this, that it's the environment that we now operate in. Well, I was thinking about this because this morning the acting mayor, the city, Cavalier Johnson, you know, he's promoting an upcoming open house for people who would be considering a career in the Milwaukee Police Department. And, you know, he is appropriately encouraging people across the city to apply because you know they want to see that the police department represents the diversity of the entire community now let me say that this is a noble goal i mean there's no question about it the more you can get police officers on a force that look like the community that they are policing, the, the better that's going to be. And, and I think diversity, is, especially in law enforcement, is a, a very, very worthwhile type of, of goal. Um, you've got the police chief, Jeffrey Norman, who says, it's not a job. I don't even like to call it a career. I want to say this is a calling. If this type of work speaks to you, if this is the type of work you feel you can commit yourself to, to the residents of the city of Milwaukee, we need you. We want you. We want you to be part of the team. We want you to be part of the solution, which all all, all is, is great. I don't disagree with any of that. Here's the deal. A starting police officer in the city of Milwaukee makes around 58 grand a year. I could be slightly off on that, but it's it's around 58 grand a year, you know, plus a pretty darn good benefit package. I believe the average salary of a police officer in Milwaukee is around 67 grand, and that that's average. So there's some that make more, there's some that make less. With overtime you can make more and things like that. But that's that that's that's what you're looking at. A decent salary. You're not going to get rich doing that, but it but it's a decent salary. But it's a very very challenging environment now to be in law enforcement in general and particularly to be a police officer in an urban area. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
All right, 60 grand a year, ballpark. Is that enough to inspire people to want to become a police officer? What's it going to take to get people willing to sign up to be cops? And are we partly essentially dealing with this environment that we have created by constantly criticizing, constantly second-guessing, viewing police as an occupying force, does it get to a point where, you know, people just say to heck with it? And and I guess I look at this and think if I had, I don't know, if I had a, a son for or a daughter, for example, who was, you know, looking for different careers and said, gee, Dad, you know, what do you think about a career in law enforcement, you know, being a police officer in an urban area? I think my response would be, well, you know, I I, I love you. You know, I'll support you with whatever you want to do. But, you know, maybe you want to consider other alternatives. And I'm not sure 60 grand a year would be enough to to overcome that. 855-616-1620. right. Are we going to get, have we created an environment where nobody wants to be a police officer moving forward? And where are we going to get the next generation of cops? What do we need to do to make the job attractive? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Well, the mayor and the police chief have a press conference today in encouraging people um, to, to apply to be Milwaukee police officers. And in particular, they're reaching out to perhaps unders- underserved segments of the community and saying, look, we, we, we really we want diversity. And I, and I appreciate that. I think there, there's a value to that. I'm, I, I just, I'm, I'm struck, though, because I, I think we have created this environment where I would describe it as as anti-cop, where you have uh, the the lieutenant governor of the state of Wisconsin, you know, who's talking about defunding the the police. You have people that are clearly hostile to the job of law enforcement, who view law enforcement as, I I don't know, uh, aggressors. We have people who... um, again show up at crime scenes with the cell phones filming cops hoping to find the cops doing something which the general public might find to be an overreaction or or whatever and i think that there's a lot of really qualified people who might be attracted to law enforcement who look at this and say why why do i i need this there's all sorts of other things that i can do that don't First of all, you mean that there's a chance that every day when I go to work, I'm going to get shot at by somebody. Secondly, that I'm going to go and I'm going to have, it's a job that I'm behind a desk or something. I'm not going to risk my life. I'm going to make as much, if not more money. Why do I need this? So I'm all in favor of trying to figure out how you can get more police officers on the street and more qualified people to apply. I just think that we're, essentially, we have created this environment where it's extremely tough and you know, yeah, it's a good starting salary. I guess it's you know sixty grand a, a year or so. But one of our texters says, "Hey, my son works in a factory. You know, he doesn't have to worry about getting shot at. You know, and he makes that eight five five six one six one six twenty. Chad in Milwaukee. Chad, you're on WTMJ. How we doing? Good. What do you think? I agree with you. I'm in construction also, and I make way more than uh, sixty grand a year. It took me a while to get to that wage, but I don't get shot at. You know, construction jobs are hazardous, but we go to work, we go home. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of police out there that are, they let people get away with things because they don't want the hassle or they don't want the, the, the getting in trouble for doing something 
because they pulled somebody over that doesn't have a plate in their car and they're going to run. Or, I mean, right. it's I would in fear of my life to be a cop nowadays. You know. Right. And- well, and can you imagine that the spouses, I mean, the pressure, I mean, if, if you look at law enforcement, there's a very, very high divorce rate. I understand we have a high divorce rate in society, but part of it is because the various stresses of the job. And I understand that all sorts of jobs are stressful, but, you know, it's it's not many of us whose spouse goes to work in the morning and, you know, you, you, you spend the entire day afraid that that phone is going to ring and you're going to pick it up and it's going to be somebody saying, okay, today is the day that your husband or your wife was shot while they were making a routine traffic stop and somebody had a gun and a body in the back of the trunk and killed them. It, most of us don't have to deal with that on a daily basis. Right, right. You know, and I mean, if you think about it, the, what they the, just like teachers, the wage they make in comparison to what they are doing is not even close. They should be getting way more money for the jobs they are doing with mm-hmm. with our people, our young people, everything, you know. That's, I wouldn't do it. I personally would not do it for that wage. No. No, thanks to call, Chad. I appreciate it. And, and not to, I know I'm kind of like a dog with a bone when it comes, or just gnawing on these things when it comes to, like, the Major League Baseball strike. But but we're, we're, we're okay, the average Major League Baseball player, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to a, a number of the arguments that the baseball union is, is making. I, I think I, I blame most of the strike on the owners, who I think are being unrealistic unreal, and, and really, really greedy. But but at the same time, the average salary for a Major League Baseball player is $4 million a year, $4.1 million. That's the average salary you know we're we're talking about trying to recruit police officers and you know it, it's 60 grand starting an average salary i think is like 67 or 68 grand you know you you there is something to say about our priorities being completely com- completely totally out of whack and by the way you know baseball is canceling games because they can't work out a deal 855-616-1620 um jeff people would not feel so hostile if police forces were cleaned up 20% of police officers are nothing but bullies. This is proven out in research. 80% truly want to serve. I, I don't know what research people are looking at. I, I disagree with that. Just like in any profession, you will have the quote-unquote bad apple. I do not believe that it is one in five. But I think, you know, that's that's part of the attitude that, that's out there. Um, Jeff, it would be nice if the police chief treats his employees better and that goes for most of the residents, too. Their morale needs to be lifted again, and they should be appreciated. Yeah, I think they they should be appreciated. And I, I'm hoping that the new police chief, Jeffrey Norman, being somebody who came up through the ranks, I, I'm hoping that, that he's able to reach out to, you know, the rank and file. I think it's very unfortunate that, you know, Alfonso Morales, who by and large was very liked by the rank and file police officers, that he was dumped by the former Fire and Police Commission in an illegal fashion. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Last year, I had some issues with the local uh, police department with me, their inability to respond to low infractions in the community so i brought it up to my alderman and asked him what what seems to be the problem and we all understood the COVID, but some of these things you don't really have to do a lot of interaction with other people well anyways he sent me an email because he he followed up with the acting chief and the chief brought up the very thing that you were discussing just before um the national narrative has really dropped the morale in the police department he has issues with retention and recruitment 
and he's already operating at a like I think it was like a seventy percent. So he had basically he was down already twenty officers, and there were more on the way out. And when you try to recruit somebody, say, hey, come work for Racine Police Department. By the way, you're not going to work your usual eight to nine hour shift. You're probably going to be doing twelve, and we are understaffed and undermanned. So we're going to have to have you patrol a large area so on and so forth. And people are looking at this like, you know, 70 grand, 60 grand a year for something like this uh, with a, a police department who keeps having their budgets cut. They don't want to go there. They want to go to mm-hmm. some place up north in Mayberry or something like that with a population of 3,000, not uh, Milwaukee, oh. Racine, you know, southeastern area. No, I, you're you're exactly right. I was, I was sitting here. I'm, I'm nodding my head because yeah, you like the, the big urban areas are competing with some of the smaller areas. No, look, law enforcement is dangerous. Period. And 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 you can you can get shot making a traffic stop in West Bend or Watoma, just like you can in Milwaukee. But but it's not yeah. the, the 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 gun violence isn't. You know, it's not as bad. Can it happen? Yes. But you're, you're right. If, if you've got somebody saying, okay, my choice is I can have more regular hours, I can make as much, if not more money, and I can work in West Bend, or I can work third shift in a high-crime area in the city of Milwaukee, pretty easy, you know, pretty easy to make that call. Yeah. No, exactly. No, th- exactly. No, th- no, thanks for the call. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, that, and that's, that's the, the battle that you, that you face. Look, I, I don't know an I don't know the answer to this. I mean, I think obviously increasing the salary is a good idea, but I, I think it goes beyond that. And again, I, I just I hate to use the cliche the chickens coming home to roost, but the chickens are coming home to roost. You you can't have you know years and years of anti-police rhetoric coming from people who should know better. You could you can't have years and years of politicians deciding to side with the loud complaining minority voices minority as far as the number smaller number of people, you know, who are are whining about this, you know, issue. Gee, we think the police shouldn't be here or the police are doing that. Again, the small number of people when compared to the majority of citizens who I think respect and enjoy the Jobs and appreciate the job the police does, but you, you can't have people that are again siding with those squeaky wheels and are always looking to second guess the activities of the police department and are using the police department as as whipping posts to try to advance particular agendas. You can't have that happen and not then also recognize on the flip side of this that that's going to make it more difficult to recruit people and especially to recruit, you know, quality people. Um, That's it. Jeff, police are first, first responders. Think of all the horrible things they respond to without knowing what it could be. The things they see, no wonder they harden themselves. Pay them more and give them um, more legal protection. Um, Jeff, my son is a police officer in Las Vegas. In the last 10 years, 1 million more people, same number of officers. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's it. Jeff, did they say the age requirements to become an officer? I'm 34. Is that too old? I do not know. Don't know what the age requirements are or what the age limitations are. And, And look, I've always... I I I I do I agree with the police chief by the way that I think law enforcement it's not a job necessarily it is a profession but it is also a calling you need a special type of of man or woman that's willing to to do that and it it's just 
it's getting more and more difficult to get those people um, who also, in many respects, have other options, other things that they can do for the same amount of money or more money that doesn't put their life on the line on a constant basis. It, it's tougher to be competitive. And somebody who wants to see us have more police officers on the street and who certainly appreciates the need for diversity in a police force, especially you know in an urban community, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. But the problem is, you know, we've we've created this situation where a lot of people good people look at it and say i don't need the aggravation so that's you know that's that's pushing that boulder uphill how you get it to stay uphill i don't have a good answer back with more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner wtmj live from the annex wealth management studios this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Um, in the second half of this hour, we're going to talk about the latest developments in Ukraine. But I want to start off this this segment by, by telling you about Jeffrey Lieberman, who was, was a professor of psychiatry at Columbia University at New York, one of the most accomplished and respected psychiatrists in the world. Um, he was the chair of the Department of Psychiatry. Um, he has um, he specializes in schizophrenia. He's considered one of the leading psychiatrists in the nation. He was the psychiatrist in chief at Columbia University Irving Medical Center, New York Presbyterian Hospital. He was also the direct, executive director of the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Okay, now I, I tell you, if you notice, I, I used it all in the past tense. It was. Well, earlier this this week, that's where he was. Today, he's been tossed out of all those. He's he's been completely and totally canceled, lost all that, suspended from Columbia University. So, you know, what what was it that he did? You might ask, and, and this is where it becomes an interesting conversation. All right, apparently the other day, he decided to send out a tweet. How many people get in trouble with with tweets? But he had apparently come across a photograph of, of a model. Her, her, and I, I assume that, you know, for many people, you know, don't follow the modeling world. There is a model. Her name is Nakim Gatwick. I think that's how you pronounce it, G-A-T-W-E-C-H. She is a, a supermodel. She's a celebrated American model of South Sudanese descent. She is known for her exceptionally dark skin. And if you look at, at pictures of her, you, you will see she has very, very dark skin. She refers to herself and her fans refer to her as the, the queen of, of the dark because, again, it's just it's the nature of, of her, her skin. And I, I, just, I, I hope I'm not labeled as a sexist for saying this, but if, if you look at the pictures of her, she is just an exceptionally beautiful woman. There, there's no question. You understand why, you know, why she is accomplished all she has in the modeling industry. She's got a very, she's an exceptionally beautiful woman. She's got a, a very, very unique look as well. And like I say, she refers to herself as the queen of the dark, as do her fans. Okay, so you've got this guy who's the chair of Columbia, whatever, and he sends out a tweet about the model. 
And here's what what he says. He's apparently commenting on on her, and he's got one of he's got a picture of her, and he sends out this tweet, and it says, "Whether a work of art or a freak of nature, she's a beautiful sight to behold. Whether a work of art or a freak of nature, she's a beautiful sight to behold." And, and clearly, he's I, I think I mean he's he's praising her. And again, she's got a very, very distinct and unique look. Whether a work of art or a freak of nature, she's a beautiful sight to behold. All right, that tweet has gotten him canceled. Because immediately after he, he sends out this tweet, a number of people on social media and in the profession stand up and say, your words are incredibly offensive. They are sexist. They are racist. To use the term freak of nature in a tweet about a black woman is is just completely and totally unacceptable. You should be ashamed of yourself. There's meetings. The department leaders at Columbia called a meeting of faculty and staff on Wednesday afternoon to discuss the situation, this was last Wednesday, and to announce that an interim chair would be named. Several hundred people attended the Zoom meeting, according to a person who attended. The tone was serious and grave. The head of the hospital described the tweet as outrageous. Okay, so he's talking about a model who has a very, very distinct look, and he says whether a work of art or a freak of nature, she's a beautiful sight to behold. That has now gotten him canceled. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, now, I, again, maybe the lesson of this is that you just, you know, especially you should stay off of Twitter, period. But I guess he's talking about a model. He is clearly, I think, praising her. Whether a work of art or a freak of nature, she's a beautiful sight to behold. Is this the type of thing that should have gotten him canceled? And when we look, for example, at, we don't have to look too far for the the, the use of the word freak because, you know, Giannis, for example, at Tentacompo, is referred to, as the Greek freak. Okay, are, are, is that an offensive term? Should everybody who refers to Giannis as being the, the Greek freak, is that the same? Is it different? I mean, if you say to somebody, man, they're, they're just a freak of nature, is that phrase now intended to be offensive? Or, I, I mean, I, I would argue that in most contexts when you heard not just hey you're a freak but when you say that this this person is a freak of nature it's generally intended as a compliment isn't it 855-616-1620 look I, I don't care what happens to this Jeffrey Lieberman I'm just intrigued by the story because now that he's been canceled in a big way now there's starting to be a blowback and people saying well you, you know really is can, can we no longer say freak of nature is that a term that we have to ban can you say freak of nature if it respond if it reply if it applies to some people but you can't say it if it applies to other what what exactly is the standard? And I guess if you hear the, the phrase, well, she's a freak of nature, or he's a freak of nature, is, is that, do, do you take that as, I don't know, racist or sexist if it's applied to a person of color? 855-616-1620, where is, is the standard? We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620. I, I'm intrigued by this story, not that I, 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 I don't have a horse in the race. I don't care what happens to Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, but he, he's essentially been completely and totally canceled. He's been spent, he's been, um, suspended from Columbia University. He's lost his, um, he's, he's lost all these different, you know, statuses, chairmen's of committee and things like that, because in reference to a, a model, Nakim Gatwick, I believe is her name, a celebrated American model, South Sudanese descent, um, who, and, and again, if you look at her complexion, she is extremely dark. Complected, but she is again at the risk of being labeled sexist. A, a stag, in my opinion, a stunningly beautiful woman. I understand why she has achieved all she has in the world of modeling. So he sends out a tweet saying, "Whether a work of art or a freak of nature, she's a beautiful sight to behold." And people freak out over him saying that she is a freak of nature, which now has me wondering: Okay, when we refer to Giannis as, as the Greek freak, is that? Is that offensive? Can we not say that anymore? When, when I have used the phrase freak of nature, it's always been in, in a, a comp. I mean, the, the way you understand that term and the way I think it was used in this context was to say, my gosh, this is, well, as one of our texters say, he, he's, he's saying one in a million. <laughs> this, is, this is one in a million. It wasn't in a derogatory fashion at all. All eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I think it's a really dumb comment to put out on social media. He was should have known he was going to get blowback given his high visibility. That's the downside of social media. You can't take those remarks back. Don't know if the punishment fits the crime, but he should have known he was going to get it. Hmm. I, I guess I, I guess that's interesting. Can we not use is freak of nature now a term that we have to? not be able to use anymore. Jeff, I don't get this. It, it's a compliment. I, I think it, it goes back to some of these other tweets where maybe a little knowledge is a dangerous sort of thing. Um, Jeff, the lesson is stay off social media, period. Anything can be taken out of context and piled on by the soft underbelly of the perpetually offended. Well, that that is true. Um, Jeff, was the model offended? Uh, I don't believe the model was offended. Jeff, freak of nature in this reference means one in a million. It was intended as a compliment. Jeff, I guess we can't say anything anymore for fear of someone out there getting offended. Um, all right, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, mean, I just wonder where we, we draw the line. Let's start with Terry in Waukesha. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Hi, Terry. I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Can, can we no longer say freak Good. of nature? Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's such an, you know, it's an old, old um, expression, but it's clearer what his intent was. And, it, you know, if he, I said to the screener that had he chosen a specific characteristic about her, i.e. her color, that may, you know, that's more specific. But he made a generalization, like one in a million, like you said, uncharacteristically beautiful woman. Like, yeah. it just is ridiculous. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I, I guess, and you know, and my my guess is when he sent it out, there there was absolutely no intent. My my guess is he it, it this blowback probably surprised him because it never occurred to him that he would be labeled a, as as racist or anything like that because that that wasn't the intent. I mean, this I mean the, the woman herself, her fans refer to her as the queen of the dark. That's I mean that is one of her distinguishing characteristics is that she has the, this very very deep skin color and complexion and and, and that's one of the things that makes her one of the many things that makes her so visually appealing and successful as a model and he didn't even specifically address that particular characteristic of her either like i said now being a professional i agree with you too that you know you got to be careful in the general public of what you're putting out there we teach our kids this but at the end of the day what he did there is no harm in my opinion no, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. It's interesting because the, there's a column in the New York Times about this, and, and one of their columnists has written, the headline is, One Graceless Tweet Doesn't Warrant Cancellation. And it, it even it, it says, even assuming for the sake of argument that this particular tweet was ill thought out. I mean, the, the fact that the, the man who's had this entire distinguished career has now been completely and totally canceled in, in this fashion um, it is just it's just a complete and total overreaction which I, I think is I think is, is definitely you know fair um, Jeff I think this is just plain old reckless political correctness soldiers doing their thing and the rest of the world allowing it in order to avoid the same negativity Jeff Twitter is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse yeah I, I think you know that's there is the, this element about there is this element about that jeff so it seems the cancel culture has now taken a taken a, a talented psychiatrist and now is preventing him from helping people right be, because of an issue like this right that's it jeff i don't see how calling someone a freak can be good but not being fired although i'm not surprised well okay he, he didn't say you're a freak you know it, it wasn't like I don't know. You were you were going to some circus sideshow and you were walking up and down and you were denouncing people. He he used the phrase "freak of nature," which to me, at least, it's different, at least in most contexts, than, than just saying you're a freak. That that's that's different. It was freak of nature. You you've got to look at what he said. And I guess may, maybe this is just me, but when I hear people say freak. Of nature, it's generally it's almost it's it's always forget generally it's always intended in a complimentary fashion. You have skills, you have talent that is beyond uh, again what what an ordinary person would would have. You know, I, I Giannis is the Greek freak. Okay, now I, I understand that Giannis is a basketball player, and you know she is, is a model, and so he was also. I mean, the, the comment related in part to her appearance, but the context is whether a work of art or a freak of nature. She's a beautiful sight to behold. This is this is he's intending it as a compliment. He's intending to pay her a, a high compliment. Now, may, again, maybe that's the lesson of all this that just you just. Stay off of Twitter. You know, stay off of Twitter if you're if you're if you're if there's any potential that you could end up getting canceled. But my goodness, let's talk to Joseph in Milwaukee. Joseph, you're on WTMJ. Uh, good afternoon. How about if we take off the word "freak" and say "unique"? Her beauty is unique. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. You got yeah. it? And, and I, I'm familiar with the model because she is stunningly beautiful, but even among people of African descent, she is super dark. Yeah. Right, right. But now, be, now be careful what you say, Joseph, because you don't want to get canceled here. <laughs> you know, but but y- yes, it, they can't yeah. cancel me because I am black. <laughs> she is still beautiful because of her freakish darkness, even among black people. Yeah. Yep. Once yep, again, yep. I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle. So should that psychiatrist. He shouldn't have gotten fired. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for you as well. Thanks for call. I mean, I get right. I guess in I, I think that the thing that that's always struck me about the cancel culture and the way it chooses victims is it we we pick such odd things that w- when there is such real racism and sexism in the world, we we pick in some cases such odd things. At least in my opinion, to get completely and totally to go over the bandwidth. And if if this psychiatrist had had intended stuff to to be uh, offensive or you know it, but he, he's clearly complimenting this woman and as our last caller said you know who's a person of color himself he's, he's like you know even among you know even among people of color you know she has an extremely dark skin complexion she's from she's from South Sudan it, it's part of this look that she has I don't know I guess you just kind of wonder you there is this landmine, series of landmines out there. I, I try to be aware of it on a daily basis that you don't want to inadvertently step on one. But I think stories like this tell you that it, it, it's not just if you're a radio talk show host or a commentator on TV. It's anybody anywhere that you just, you know, you, you have a, an intent. You're trying to, I think, be positive and things like that, and then all of a sudden the stuff blows up in your face. In any event, um, again, Jeffrey Lieberman, one way or the other, the latest victim of the cancel culture. Next time you're getting ready to call somebody a freak of nature, be really, really careful. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.